Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly. We have a new podcast launching this week exclusively on Spotify with Chris Ryan and Chuck Klosterman called Music Exists. Here's the trailer. Hello, this is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. Hello, this is Chuck Klosterman. I'm a friend of Chris Ryan and The Ringer. And this is Music Exists, a podcast where we talk about how we think about music. Yeah, this is not a podcast where we tell you what music to listen to or we necessarily comment on what's happening in the culture right now or what you should be listening to tomorrow before your friends do. This is a podcast about thinking about music even when it's not playing. Yeah, how does music shape the world you see around you, the world you feel around you? How does it make you feel about yourself? Yeah, particularly if the music that makes you feel things about yourself is Steely Dan or Black Sabbath. Or Radiohead. Yeah, that happens. That comes up a lot. Music Exists, a podcast about Radiohead. (laughs) (laughs) Available exclusively on Spotify. David, Trump-adjacent political gadfly Roger Stone, deep breath after that, was sentenced to 40 months in prison on Thursday. What I want to know is, how do news outlets decide whether to use 40 months or three (laughs) years and four months? I, um... My guess, based on absolutely nothing, is that it was... I didn't even read the official, the verdict or anything. My guess is that the verdict was handed down in terms of months and the outlets that are converting it into years are doing us a favor <laughs> or believe themselves to be, like, you know, just uh, converting it to, converting it to metric for us or whatever. But um, I don't... I don't know. Which one of those sounds longer? Well, That's I what I was going to ask. Because if you're Fox News, right, you're going to pick the one that sounds... Do you pick the one that sounds more draconian, to so that Trump will then will then let him off, or do you pick the one that sounds smaller because that sounds like less of a penalty? I, I think you pick the one that's more draconian, right? Or I, I, well, actually, I don't know. It could go either way. I'm trying to think because three years, four months sounds. I feel like sounds longer, but forty is like a big number, right? I mean, I guess if you were just going, if you said like a hundred months, that might sound longer than the year convention. But I think, I think I'd rather do forty months than three years and four months. Just being me personally. <laughs> you could just like <laughs> the line, the little like hash lines that you're drawing on your cell wall, you know, which are, you're counting up to 40. I guess that makes a little bit more sense. We are the four score and seven years ago of media podcast. This is the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. Lots and lots of stuff to get to today. We'll talk about the suddenly resurgent Elizabeth Warren campaign. Her campaign lives. We'll set up Saturday's Nevada caucuses and talk about how you should watch them on cable news. We'll answer your listener mail plus the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, we got to start with the fallout from Wednesday's Democratic debate in Las Vegas. With apologies to Jim Ross. The only appropriate word to describe what we saw was a slobber knocker. (laughs) We knew the candidate everyone was coming for. And Lester Holt set the stage with the first question by asking, and I'm, I'm only mildly paraphrasing here. Would anyone like to hit Mike Bloomberg in the face? Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren said, me first like to talk about who we're running against a billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians and no i'm not talking about donald trump i'm talking about mayor bloomberg (laughs) democrats are not going to win if we have a nominee who has a history of hiding his tax returns of harassing women and of supporting racist policies like redlining and stop and frisk look i'll support whoever the Democratic nominee is. But understand this. Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. The story of this debate, David, was always going to be seeing the difference between idealized TV commercial Mike Bloomberg and the actual flawed candidate Mike Bloomberg. Overall, how do you think he held up? Uh... I mean, I think he held up 
I mean, if you want to grade him on a curve, if you want to say that he, we knew he was going to take a bunch of fire coming in. I mean, he left on two feet. Um, but I don't. But I think you know, in in the you know more meta wide angle view, it just seems. I mean, I think that I'll, I'll just put it this way. I think that our sort of most. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think the kind of most kind of arch view of the whole situation is absolutely true, that he can certainly win the nomination, but it will be seen as an absolute catastrophe if he does. Like just a just a complete miscarriage of justice if he buy because it will be purely him buying his way into the nomination. There's nothing happened on the stage last night that framed him as a compelling candidate for president. Yeah, there was there was talk, at least on cable beforehand, that his advisors wanted him to sort of get his life story out there somehow Mm -hmm. that, you know, I didn't inherit my money like Donald Trump did. I built my business. Yeah. And that I also have this philanthropic side where even if I'm a super rich dude, I've been giving money to worthy causes for a long time, which he certainly has. been. Didn't it seem like every moment that he spoke like that, he just like switched a word from the script to something just off the top of his head. He picked exactly the wrong word. I, it's hard. I mean, I don't even <laughs> it's like he managed to take a rather like a potentially compelling script about his life story, about it, how he made his money. And he just tweaked it on the fly to make himself seem more like a soulless oligarch. Like it was like, I don't, there was something about his, and it wasn't his disposition. I'm used to Mike Bloomberg. I've seen him speak and debate many times. It was just, he just seemed so out of touch with the way, I mean, it was like he was very practiced in his, in his posture, but the wording just wasn't there. The message wasn't there. And, and that is, and that, you know, is a little bit of a, I guess, I mean, that's not the the purest, most maybe most important way to look at it because the substance is what matters. But in so much as he was presenting himself to a broad audience for the first time, um, the presentation was just glaringly bad, I thought. But who knows? And I think a lot of that just comes down to practice. They talked about this on CNN before the debate. These other candidates have been through this eight times now. Mm-hmm. And Mike Bloomberg, for all of his experience in public life, has not been. And whatever, you know, he went through in his New York mayoral debates, we heard a few clips from him this week. It was it was not going to be anything like this, especially where you had basically everybody on stage up to and including Joe Biden determined to take him out last night. I guess when I look over what happened, look in the ways that he was attacked my biggest question is, what was the most damaging material we heard last night? There was stop and frisk, which we knew about. Yeah. There was the George W. Bush stuff, which you'd been waiting for somebody to bring up. Mm-hmm. To me, though, it was the non-disclosure agreements. Yes. That he and his business were a party to. This is a longish clip, but listen to how expertly Elizabeth Warren turns this from a moral argument into an electability argument. I hope you heard what his defense was. I've been nice to some women. (laughs) That just doesn't cut it. The mayor has to stand on his record. And what we need to know is exactly what's lurking out there. He has gotten some number of women, dozens, who knows, to sign non-disclosure agreements, both for sexual harassment and for gender discrimination in the workplace. So, Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? We have a very few non-disclosure agreements. Uh, how many is that? Let me that? finish. How many is that? None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. And let me just po- and let me point. There's a be- agreements between two parties that wanted to keep it quiet, and that's up to them. They signed those agreements, so, and we'll live with it. So wait, but, when you say it is up, to, I just want to be clear. Some is how many? And and when you and when you say they signed them and they wanted them, if they wish now to speak out and tell their side of the story about what it is they allege, that's now okay with you. You're releasing them on television tonight. Senator, no. is that right? 
Senator, tonight. Senator, the company and somebody else, in this case, a man or a woman, or could be more than that, they decided when they made an agreement that they wanted to keep it quiet for everybody's no. interest. They signed the agreements, and that's what we're going to live I, with. I'm sorry. No, the question is, are I the women bound by being muzzled by you? And you could release them from that immediately, because understand, this is not just a question of the mayor's character. This is also a question about electability. We are not going to beat Donald Trump with a man who has who knows how many non-disclosure agreements and the drip, drip, drip of stories of women saying they have been harassed okay. and discriminated against. I thought that was such a smart way to frame it mm-hmm. because I think Democratic voters, a lot of them anyway, are willing to accept deviations from Democratic orthodoxy on various things, which Bloomberg has, at least at some point in his career, done. What she is doing is making a different point. She's saying there are these time bombs out there Mm -hmm. and Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey or whomever is going to go find them. Yeah. And it may not be about Bloomberg. It may be about the culture at his company. It may be about a bad joke or comment, like he said. They're going to find them, and that is going to hurt him beating Donald Trump. Not not him not being a good liberal, not him not being Bernie Sanders. It's going to make him lose. I thought that was such a smart way to attack it. I totally agree. I mean, if you go back and listen to that clip, he does exactly what I was talking about earlier, where he's saying, you know, maybe I told a bad joke or two. I've told some, I've told some off-color jokes in my day. I regret it. He's like, he, he pivoted, it seemed like, in real time to maybe they didn't like a joke I told, which is putting the onus on the offended person, which is like exactly the wrong thing to say in that, in that sentence. And you could tell from mm-hmm. the, by the reaction from the crowd. But what Elizabeth Warren is made to your point that what Elizabeth Warren is saying is more than just an electability argument. It's a moral argument and it's a it's a political argument because what she's saying is like the Republicans will roll over for their candidate, but the Democrats are not going to we're, we're, we're not going we as a party, we as a as a block of voters are not going to ignore these sorts of transgressions in somebody's history and there's a practical aspect which is literally bloomberg can't get elected if that if if shit like that starts dribbling out but if you take it as if if you if you you know from the moral point of view you say we we just should we cannot stand for that as a party and uh and and i think that it's the way that she framed it like you said was really compelling i do get the sense watching this debate bernie sanders got attacked too bernie was not was not totally spared tonight by Pete Buttigieg and others, right? Came after him. I can't shake the feeling that the Democrats on stage are attacking the wrong person. We know Bernie Sanders is the front runner, right? Mm-hmm. We know he's so confident he's going to win Nevada that he's going to California on Friday to campaign. <laughs> so let's say that basically everyone is conceding Nevada to him and it's a race for second place. Bernie's going to have a big lead. Bernie's going to do well on Super Tuesday anyway. But this debate was all about taking out Bloomberg and Bloomberg being this sort of interesting potential. And it really does continue to remind me of the 2016 Republican debates where it was like, well, Marco Rubio notionally, hypothetically could do well. So let's get rid of him. Let's Mm -hmm. get rid of Jeb Bush when Donald Trump was the front runner the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I just find that so weird. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there's a there's an element of sort of mystery to the anybody but Bernie uh, contingent out there where. I mean, maybe the answer is probably the answer is just as simple as like, you know, the the, the notable voices of in the political world are very rich people who are very scared of losing their money. But there's like a real there's a lot of. People seem very comfortable saying Bernie Sanders is unelectable or Bernie Sanders would be a terrible thing for the Democratic Party, but no one r- really wants to explicate why. I do think for some reason that seems to trickle down on to the to the campaign stage a little bit where they're like, yes. they're like, no one knows quite what to say about Bernie Sanders. And to your point, I mean, I think I mean, from in in my point of I mean, from my point of view. Right. I mean, there's a political argument. They all should have been going after Bernie. Yeah, for sure. From my point of view, I mean, I I think that there's a clear moral difference between the candidacies of Bernie Sanders and Michael Bloomberg. And so, you know, if, if you when if you choose to to target Bloomberg, you're making the right choice. I do think there's a more practical element to it, 
Um, and that's that. And you can definitely draw parallels to the to four years ago on the Republican side. Um, it was clearly in Elizabeth Warren's interest to target Michael Bloomberg, and she did so with gusto. And at that, and from the very beginning of the debate, ninety seconds in or whatever, she had set the terms for the rest of the night. Because no one else can seem like, like you don't have to agree with Medicare for all, but there certainly has been a move champion, I mean, that Bernie Sanders has driven to uh, ideologically to, 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 to move the party platform towards in his direction, right? And once you, I mean, once one person is like shouting, is, is like trash talking oligarchs on stage, it's not like everybody else can be like, yeah, but, you know? <laughs> uh, and I, and so I think that that, that I mean, that's, that's the reason for a lot of it. Also, I think there's a real sense of, I mean, there's a real complacency, even for the candidates that are behind in the polls. They've all been, you know, they all have their plans for how they're going to bounce back and whatever else. And Michael Bloomberg represents this monkey wrench. And so they're all, I think they'd all be happy to go back to the status quo. And that probably, that, that probably accounts for a small amount of the, of, of, you know, targeting him over Sanders. Oh, he, he's the new guy, right? He's right. an incredibly inviting target. And as we saw last night, kind of an easy target mm -hmm. too. So so I get all that. And we'll talk about Warren's prospects in a second. I want to kind of almost table her for a second. But for Elizabeth Warren, that is a, an absolute dream matchup, just like it was for Bernie Sanders. Right. This is I've been warning you guys about billionaires. Here's the billionaire. Mm -hmm. So I understand the temptation, but we're not to any we're not we're nowhere close to somebody who's not Bernie Sanders versus Mike Bloomberg right now. That That's not the way the election looks to me. The election looks right now is as everybody versus Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. How do we stop Bernie Sanders? And again, I'm thinking on behalf of other campaigns here. How do we stop him before he runs up this big lead on Super Tuesday? And then we just never really have a chance to get back in. And all we're trying to do is deny him a majority of delegates and try to just kick this thing to Milwaukee and see what we can do. <sighs> and I've just, I nobody, nobody seems to have a plan for that yet. And I'm just kind of like, you know, we're 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 getting close to Super it, Tuesday. If you don't have a plan by then, this this thing could be over. Is it? Do you think it's possible? It's because all the other campaigns have reconciled themselves to the fact that he's going to have a plurality but not a majority. I mean, do you think that is it? Is it possible that that like that everybody who's not Bernie Sanders or potentially Elizabeth Warren or Mike Bloomberg has decided that like the contested convention is their way to the victory? Who? Isn't that, I mean, it's kind of wild to say out loud, right? I mean, contested convention was like the, you know, the word that, the, the name that, that dare not be spoken in every previous contest. And now, I mean, almost entirely because of Bernie Sanders, people are just talking about it on like MSNBC and CNN as if it's just like a normal thing that we do in politics. You know, <laughs> it's sort of wild. Right. They did ask the candidates last night, what if, if there were a candidate with the most delegates, but they didn't have a majority? Should they be the unquestioned Democratic nominee? Not shockingly, mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders said yes, and everybody <laughs> else said <laughs> no. I just think if you're playing for the convention, you are already in long shotsville on this thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not sure we're quite there yet where that's the thing. And by the way, you talk about it would be this traumatic miscarriage of justice if Bloomberg were to sweep in and buy the nomination. If Bernie Sanders has the most delegates, and Democrats figure a way to deny him the nomination. I know. I mean, <laughs> woo, we, we, that, that, that's going to be, I'd argue that that might be more traumatic for the party. I mean, it, it's certainly in the conversation because, you know, Mike Bloomberg can do three or four things and pick a, pick a running mate or something and maybe paper it over. I, gosh, I don't see how bernie won quote unquote mm. won and then didn't get the nomination gets papered over you can say a lot of things about you know problems with our current electoral system um you know the fact that you know there's basically a cap on the number of political parties <laughs> is, is front and center but setting that aside i mean the people that are that complain most frequently and most loudly about the damage trump is doing to our political status quo are, are sort of doctrinaire Democrats. And I think that it's really possible that any percent, the percent, the widespread perception that Bernie has been denied the nomination that he earned could be more damaging to the status quo than anything Trump has done. Uh, ooh, there we go. There we go. Can we say just for a second, David, 
spend a moment thinking about how much fun, which is to say how bloody last night's debate was. Mm-hmm. Dude, I, I'm not a, you know, Jack Germond here, but the <laughs> who first amongst ten, us is, Brian? Who amongst us is. The first 10 minutes was maybe the best 10 minutes I've seen of a debate ever. The first hour was maybe the fir- best hour I've seen of a debate ever. Because even when you go back and look at classic debates, they're pretty boring. And it's maybe two minutes of action amidst like an hour plus of kind of people sitting around. So everybody fixates on the highlights. This was like Reservoir Dogs debate with everybody <laughs> just pointing a gun at everybody. I, and we can talk about Bernie. We talk about Sanders office and this stuff. How about Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar? Yeah. Just boiling over. Yeah. Um, I gotta admit, I wasn't watching all the debate live. I, I started, I was, I had a burger with a coworker and, and, uh, and, and the, the Duke, uh, NC state game was on, by the way, there were Mike Bloomberg commercials running, uh, during the Duke NC state game <laughs> that was airing opposite the debate. Um, and then when I got back, I tried to start off with like catching up with like highlights and like Twitter clips and stuff. And the, you, I mean, there was just like every moment mattered there was like it was it was the first debate that i can remember where like a youtube highlight package just could couldn't possibly do it justice yeah it was two hours long should we do a little buddha judge klobuchar here this is (laughs) this is the moment when buddha judge started speaking spanish (laughs) (laughs) insert laughs just listen i won't even set it up I wish everyone is, was as perfect as you, Pete. <laughs> oh, I love uh, it. I, it was great. It was just, I just think that was, that was an amazing night of television. Full stop. The New York times is Dave Itzkoff tweeted. What this stage needs is the unity that only a performance of Eminem's lose yourself. can bring. <laughs> Let's I, get everybody on the same page. Oh my god, I can't disagree. I mean, those two going back and forth. Um, I think the fact that they were sort of the sideshow probably say, probably helped them both a little bit in the long run because they got to look salty and and look like they you know were energetic without actually people actually spending too much time breaking down the fact that how just wild that exchange was. Um, but yeah, I mean. I think there's gonna. I think we're gonna have an increasing, you know, number of questions about the Buttigieg candidacy, not just the campaign. The campaign's sort of fine, but you know, I mean, I think that I don't know that he. I think that he kind of did fine last night, but he's already sort of ironically, after Iowa and New Hampshire, he's he's in a place where he's you know fighting from behind again, fighting from underneath, and he doesn't. He you know running a front runner campaign. I think in general isn't particularly effective, but certainly not for the Buttigieg campaign. I think we saw with Elizabeth Warren, and we'll get to her in a minute, how fighting from underneath can be, I mean, is is the is probably the most compelling place to be for anyone. Uh, and, Klobuch- I, and Klobuchar's, you know, I mean, I, again, I think she had a, I think she had a good night. Uh, weirdly, my lasting memory of Klobuchar was one when she was, you know, the are you calling me stupid line. Ooh, yeah. But then, honestly, what I was left with was like, I was watching CNN or something later on, and she came on and her like, main point was that we hadn't they hadn't talked about president bush i mean president trump enough and that may or may not be true but that shouldn't be the first thing out of your mouth post to be i know i understand what she's trying to do don't get me wrong but it's just like you were just in a dog fight there i mean the you know the party's nomination is at stake and you're like yeah well i wish we had talked about this other thing more even though it's trump it just seems a little bit beside the point i i feel that's such a control plus v complaint we shouldn't be tearing each other down. We should be talking about President Trump. Like, yeah, I know, right? But this is the Democratic debate. You all know what this is. You mm-hmm. know, there's no, there's no mystery here. You're trying to be the nominee rather than the other person. That's what this is. So you're going to tear them down. By the way, any any debate with that ends with Amy Klobuchar refusing to shake hands was <laughs> probably a pretty good night of television. Just yes. saying, it was probably some good stuff happened. All right, David. Hold those thoughts while we do the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right. Where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Please send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. As you might imagine, as with any night of American monoculture, there were a lot of great debate jokes. For instance, 
Mike Bloomberg says he's against socialism. Funny, he didn't seem to have any issue with being publicly owned. <laughs> I feel like that joke circulate like it like pops up every single time. There's like the, someone who in a Bernie <laughs> Sanders debate that gets that looks bad. I feel like there was a Hillary Clinton joke about that about four years ago too. I think so. It just comes up every four years. Thanks to Gary Dixon for sending that in. When Elizabeth Warren was bringing up those confidential settlements with Mike Bloomberg, mm-hmm. guess who weighed in on Twitter? That's right. That veteran of confidential settlements himself, Bill O'Reilly. Oh, my God. I, I kid you not. And O'Reilly tweeted, quote, Warren pounding Bloomberg about non-disclosure agreements signed by women. All companies have those. Bloomberg looks weak. Oh, my God. A uh, couple couple gifts sort of, did, you know, made the rounds here. But I, my favorite overworked Twitter joke was, I'll give you 32 million reasons you shouldn't be weighing in on this. <laughs> Thanks That's to Mike Vorkanov for that one. Also from the debate, David, did you hear the heart disease moment that was shared between Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders? Bernie said, and I think the one area that Mayor Bloomberg and I share, you have two stents as well. Dot dot dot. We both have two stents. It's a procedure that is done about a million times a year. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, everyone's trying to get their two stents in. <laughs> Thanks to Renan Borelli. Oh, that's good. Finally, David, a wild story from our southern border. The U.S. Attorney's Office in El Paso has stated in a complaint that Cleveland Browns offensive tackle Greg Robinson, oh my along with an associate, was caught with 157 pounds of marijuana. 157 pounds of marijuana. Robinson could be looking at 20 years in prison. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write. Now, that's what I call a holding penalty. <laughs> Thanks to Tom Barkley. If you considered Greg Robinson's legal troubles a non-reviewable offense, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. Let us go to the notebook dump and stay with the debate. Because we got to talk about Elizabeth Warren. Let's be honest, going into last night, her campaign was desperate for anything to go right. Mm-hmm. But they were kind of desperate after she finished third place in Iowa. And she played it very safe and let Amy Klobuchar become the star of New Hampshire. Well, on Wednesday, Elizabeth Warren comes in like Scarface with a machine gun. Listen to her going candidate by candidate and criticizing their health care plans. We need to get everybody's health care plan out here. Uh, Mayor Buttigieg really has a slogan that was thought up by his consultants to paper over a thin version of a plan that would leave millions of people unable to afford their health care. It's not a plan, it's a PowerPoint. And Amy's plan is even less. It's like a post-it note, insert plan here. I must say I take personal offense since post-it notes were invented in my state. Okay, so my plan is a public option. I didn't quite get the comeback. No, because she conceded the point. I mean, like it was she had to say it. It was a it was a good concept for a joke. But, you know, that's why these people are scripted so much of the time. The New Yorker's uh, Tad friend tweeted, Elizabeth Warren is now doing a Friars Club roast, (laughs) ripping everyone else on stage. And it wasn't just the debate. She ripped Bloomberg on Twitter before. And in interviews afterward, what do you make of the revitalized Elizabeth Warren? Jeet here, who I don't always agree with, but who, you know, is good at making compelling <laughs> multi-part arguments emphasis. on Twitter, uh, had a kind of breakdown of sort of war, uh, war, war in the walk versus war in the warrior. And, the, and that uh, the idea being in a campaign such as this, you don't really get to be a multifaceted person. And her campaign needed to decide who she was going to be. Last night, kind of put to bed Warren the Wonk in favor of the warrior. And I think, I feel like we kind of had a conversation that sort of alluded to this point a week or two ago. But um, I think there's a lot of truth to that. She is a very, very effective fighter. And yes. what made it, what, what, there's a lot of risk to being a fighter on in, in a primary uh, campaign, especially as a woman. Mm-hmm. And, and she felt the, effects of that. I mean, she, she, she ran afoul of those risks, you know, like uh, through, through in, in several times in this campaign. 
it's much easier to be a wonk. It's much easier to be a thinker, especially when you are a a like brilliant deep thinker such as Elizabeth Warren. Um, but all but that really does a disservice to her record and to her history, which is to say that like her political career, especially her national political career, is that of a warrior. I mean, she's been one of the most relentless fighters in congressional hearings on the campaign trail of anybody else of her generation. And uh, seeing that come out in like fine form was sort of a reminder, but also sort of, I think, revelatory on a larger scale. I, I agree. And I think that's what was was a great part of her appeal that just for whatever reason had been missing over the last couple of months. In a way that had been ceded to Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. too much. And I and and I know if you watch her on the stump or even at the debates, she has definitely been a warrior for the cause. But I think you could argue that if you want to wear that mantle, it involves to some extent actually going after the other candidates and mm-hmm. showing why they're wrong and you're right. You're right that she hit the tripwires last night. If you looked at Twitter, all of Twitter was misogyny corner last night. Uh Uh-oh, this female candidate is being very shrill. She's not being very nice, which come the fuck on, right? Mm -hmm. And you're right. She is, whenever a woman runs for president, they play by different rules. There is all this unfairness baked into the process. We can, when, when they say the same things as a male candidate, everybody gets mad. There were a hundred examples last night. Even if, by the way, we we just shove that to the side for the moment, I'm also thinking, like, what was Elizabeth Warren supposed to do last night if not go after people? Yeah. You know, the other approach didn't work in two states where she was set up to do really well. And I thought it was great. And I I noticed even Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted Thursday, Warren was not mean or angry. She was effective. And by the way, we're allowed to be angry about racial profiling. You're allowed to be angry about sexual harassment or at big banks committing fraud against single parents. Uh, AOC obviously has has endorsed Bernie Sanders. But I, I thought she was great. And now I'm sort of wondering is, is she going to get the same bump that we saw Klobuchar get? Where essentially one debate, which was, by the way, watched by about 20 million people last night. Is that enough to bring her back? I wouldn't even say into the first tier. I'd say, let's start with the second tier because she was basically out of the conversation in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Is that enough to bring her back right beneath Sanders and then set her up for a big run on Super Tuesday? I mean, this is a neat transition into conversation about ratings, right? I do do think that that last night... Could I mean is an enormously important night for her, and and if anyone's going to get you know a second chance in this process, I think that we saw the beginning of that last night. Um, to to your point earlier about Twitter being misogyny corner, let's be really clear that that's not limited to the asshole men on Twitter. Jennifer Rubin got a lot of attention for tweeting that uh, that mean the quote is mean and angry Warren is not a good look. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and amongst many, many others rightfully went after her for that. Uh, I, I think that, you know, that's the, the, the end, the end result of last night is that Jennifer Rubin and everyone else who said that are just objectively wrong and objective, objectively wrong. Sorry. And, and it's, um, and also abjectly. Yeah. yeah and, and they are, uh, and, and I think the Warren campaign is going to see, you know, Real results from the performance last night. I think that there is no way to to overstate the fact that the 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 power of the memes that are going to come out of last night. To be honest with you, Mike Bloomberg obviously has paid millions of dollars to like memeify his campaign. At this point, you know, for, for the everybody went after Bloomberg last night with the with a with a level of vigor that makes you think they all just want him to disappear tomorrow. But at this point, the longer Bloomberg stays in, the better for Elizabeth Warren, because every time someone says Mike Bloomberg's name, someone's going to play that clip mm-hmm. that we opened the show with. And that, and, and I think that that level, if there's, you know, the, the, if there's any, if there's any element of misogyny that's baked in more than women shouldn't look angry or mean, it's that they won't be able to take on Trump in a debate. And I think that like every time you show that clip, it just dispels that myth just immediately. No. And she, and she, there's no doubt she would be excellent in a debate against Donald Trump. No doubt about it. And she, maybe she just reminded people of that last night. I'm interested in her in Nevada and elsewhere just because 
she's not only coming back, but she's in a sense trying to climb back over Buddha judge Klobuchar and Joe Biden. Right. She's, you know, she, there's this whole thing of you have to kind of get to second place or maybe a really good third place before you can even think about getting back to first place, which she was very briefly in the fall. So I guess the other way to ask a question about Elizabeth Warren's night last night is how did she do relative to the other people? You mentioned Buttigieg and Klobuchar were almost kind of a sideshow. They were there, but it wasn't obvious that they were going to be able to build on their performance in New Hampshire. Joe Biden's an interesting one to me because his polls in Nevada have actually been pretty good. He's been number two more than once. He's still leading in South Carolina, despite all the just, you know, haplessness of his campaign. Do we think Warren positioned herself in a way, you know, enough to overtake Biden and finish second? Because to me, she's got it right. Like now you've got to see, okay, you saw the spunk in the debate. You saw the fire. Now she's got to do well in an actual election. Uh, You know, one thing when when the cable news networks start reaching some sort of reaching some sort of uh, um, conventional wisdom consensus, you got to you got to pay attention to it. And the one thing I kept on hearing over and over again over the past twelve hours or whatever is this idea of Elizabeth Warren as a unity candidate, like the the just sort of like she might be uh, what Joe Biden was supposed to be, not in terms of just like you know Obama's third term, but in terms of like the easy like the easy compromise. Um, and in that sense, I do think that she can take over for Biden. I mean, she can. I don't know if she'll. I don't know if she'll. You know, straight up beat him in back to back states. Um, but it's, you know, Bloomberg, Bloomberg taking Biden's corner was sort of a very, um, it, it's a very neat overlap, right? I mean, we talked about it in those terms last time. Um, but you know, Biden's campaign, but the potential of Biden's campaign is a very, is, is a very big and multifaceted thing. And there's a lot of corners for people to occupy. I do think it's really possible that that um, Elizabeth Warren takes up a lot, eats a, a lot of that oxygen. And who knows? I mean, it could be, it could mean real numbers on, on elections. It could mean nothing at all though, you know? Yeah. I just still think her challenge is distinguishing herself from Sanders. And as you saw last night when she criticized Bernie and she did, it wasn't, it wasn't totally absent. You still come away with it thinking, what's the difference between the two of you again? Um, you're right that she'd much rather sink her teeth into Bloomberg because Mm -hmm. she'd rather, I'm sure she'd rather Bernie Sanders be the nominee and be president than Mike Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. Absolute 100%. But I still wonder how she's going to explain to people how she's different than Bernie Sanders. And I, and I think in a way that's been her big struggle since October is how, how am I different and how can I look, there may be some Bernie voters that are absolutely going to stay with Bernie till, till the end, no matter what happens. But how can I win lefties and some people who are kind of in the middle, right? Because if it's I'm going to outlast all these centrists and kind of wind up at the end, that there are a lot of people who have to fall off the cliff for that to happen. They really are. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. The only thing I would add to that is that there's not a, a reason for. I mean, she, she has she has all the reason in the world to wait it out, right? I mean, she will eventually. I, I think that going back to a point that you've made consistently and you made earlier in this show. She probably more than anybody else is wondering why no one's taking Bernie on too, because that's not going to be hers. That's not. I mean, that's that. That's not. She would not expect that to be her responsibility. And the, if you paint Bernie as an outlier, then Elizabeth Warren does start to look more and more like a compromise candidate. But it's just a matter of of the waiting game. It seems like at this point, at some point, someone else is going to be is is going to be incentivized to finally take aim at Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren may not may be able to stand by and reap the benefits without doing it herself. If it becomes a real showdown between Warren and Sanders, I don't think it really behooves either of them. Um, but it does say a lot about, I mean, that's an, that would be just an amazing thing for the state of the Democratic Party that that's, that's the showdown that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. She was able to raise $2.8 million yesterday or so her campaign claims, which gives her at least some money going forward. So the debate's done, David. Let us attempt to now explain how Saturday's Nevada caucus is going to go. Because I know for me, of the first four states, this is the fuzzy one. We know Iowa's number one, New Hampshire number two, 
We know South Carolina, which is number four, is Biden's win or go home state. Mm -hmm. And the first time we'll see a large percentage of African-American voters. So where does Nevada fit in? Nevada only joined the first four in 2008. Thanks to a combination of former Senator Harry Reid doing his man behind the curtain, Harry Reid things. And the Western U.S. emerging as this big stronghold for the Democratic Party, as it still is. Nevada was seen as more diverse than Iowa or New Hampshire. Population is 30% Hispanic and 10% African-American. The caucus is about the casino worker who's a member of the culinary union, not the white party regular in those early states. As Isabella Grullon Paz notes in the New York Times, Nevada is a vision of America's new service industry working class, not that old Midwestern manufacturing working class. Now, as to how this works, I I know you and I have both been sort of struggling, even even we're struggling to sort of figure it out. (laughs) I think this is the short version. It's basically the same deal as the Iowa caucus. You stand in groups for your particular candidate. If your candidate has less than 15 percent and isn't viable, you can pick another candidate. But what's interesting about Nevada is they also had early caucusing. (laughs) where you showed up at various places through this Tuesday and filed a ballot in which you ranked the candidates. 70,000 people showed up early, which is New York magazine notes. Only 85,000 showed up in the entire caucuses in 2016. Right. So, So that's potentially like a wow number. We'll see how that matches with Saturday's votes. In terms of counting the votes, Nevada Democrats had planned to use the same doomed app that the Iowa Democrats were going to use. They switched to Google apps and party-owned iPads. But as of Saturday, DNC chairman Tom Perez was saying, we might not even have the results on Saturday. <laughs> like, I'm going to I'm gonna downplay this as much as humanly possible. Oh, my God. I know. Which brings me to another thing I want to talk to you about. How does one watch the Nevada caucuses on cable news? (laughs) They start at noon Pacific on Saturday, but given the challenges of reporting the votes and adding in those votes of those early caucusers we just talked about, I think you should watch Nevada less like Iowa or New Hampshire and more like a golf tournament. (laughs) This is something you have on. And you monitor, right? Feel free to flip over to the XFL game. Go for a jog. Don't get sucked into hours of cable news vamping that is basically information free. <laughs> I, I I just, I feel for all of our saying, if you, if you want to watch Chris Matthews freestyle for hours, <laughs> hey, don't let us deny you the performance. But just, just remember Iowa, even before Iowa turned into a complete clusterfuck, that first hour of Iowa, we were doing live from the caucuses and having this context free information, mm-hmm. you know, while Katie Turr was sticking a microphone. Somebody, you don't need to watch that. Just, just have it on. The results will come soon enough. Here's the other thing. Bernie Sanders, as we mentioned, is confident enough he's going to win Nevada that he's not even campaigning there on Friday. So I guess barring an upset, the thing to watch is second place. Does Warren's debate performance do for her what New Hampshire did for Klobuchar. Does the seemingly outlandish, but at least entertainable Joe Biden comeback start in Nevada with him finishing second to Bernie? That to me, isn't, isn't it, isn't that the real thing to watch here? Who's in second place and by how much? Yeah. And it's really easy to immediately draw lines between uh, the, the 70,000 early votes and put the potential uh, of and that potentially making last night totally insignificant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it does feel like now. Who knows how much how much ammunition the Warren campaign has even after the last, the last night's debate uh, to make some sort of broader point? But it's it would be really really come easy for them to make the case if she does doesn't come in second or even third that. The, that the whole process should just be thrown out because of the early voting. And obviously early voting is a sensitive subject and, you know, you can't, you probably shouldn't say it exactly like that. 
But right. she had the biggest right. night of her campaign, and seven, and and and, it, and it's and potentially over half the votes are, was already cast. Yeah, uh, the comeback to that is you could have had the biggest night of your campaign a week ago, and if oh, somebody sure. if somebody had that, then why are you in erasing their votes? Right? Mm-hmm. Why are you if Bernie if Bernie won New Hampshire, then and then he did well subsequently in early voting in Nevada? Why does that not count? You know. So well, but yeah. I think I mean I think the more salient question is it, it have. Do Mike Bloomberg's like massive commercial buys just totally just render his actual debate performance insignificant? Yeah. And that's something we really have to wait. Right. Because we're not really going to know that until Super Tuesday. Sure. You know, that's the weird part. Right. He's here, but he's still sitting out these contests Mm -hmm. as anything but a write in vote. So, you know, who is I don't I don't know that we'll know that. And. You know, I think you mentioned in the email when we were talking, when we were emailing earlier, like, where does he go from here? Right. Nate Silver made this point yesterday on Twitter. Mike Bloomberg cannot freeze where he is. He, he's done. He's kind of vaulted into second place in at least one national poll mm-hmm. in the high teens. That's great. But he's got to go up from there. Right. That's not a winning number for him nationally. Right. So after last night, can he continue to go up? By just running commercial after commercial, making these campaign appearances, that kind of thing. He's going to be on the stage again, South Carolina next week. Or does this kind of let him make him stall out a little bit? I'm fascinated to know that. And I don't know that we know the answer right now, though. We can pretend we're cable news hosts and and, and predict confidently. (laughs) Well, you just told everybody to not watch cable news, so we can pretend all we want. Speaking of cable news, I got some listener mail questions for you. Great. This is from Nick Field, our friend. He says you can build your own cable TV election night coverage team, oh, fantasy no. football style. Mm. What are the positions? Who are you taking and why? Um, well, there's obviously like the MC, right? The sort of Brian Williams on MSNBC. Yeah, the quarterback position. Um, you, you know who I want for that? Who? If I can just pick every, I want Keith Olbermann back. I was going to mention him. It was weird because that was not the role that he occupied at MSNBC when he was there. But we he the, did. Uh, no, no, no. I'm saying his his nightly uh, that wasn't his like that, that wasn't the tenor of his performance on Countdown, right? But then when the when the when the roundtables would come about, they'd give him that seat. He's back on SportsCenter, and he and he just does an amazing job. Um, what I liked about him is he could absolutely be air traffic controller, mm-hmm. but he also had some bite to him. Which is a very rare combination because if you look at Brian Williams, look at Anderson Cooper, they don't have any bite, right? They're just playing host guy, which is fine. But if I'm drafting and I can take anybody, I'm taking Keith Olbermann for my for my MC, my quarterback. How about map guy? Who do you <laughs> want as map guy or gal for that matter? Um, how many options on map on, on map person do I have? I, Steve Kornacki or John King? If that's I the only you. two, I got to, you know, I've been, I've come around a little bit on John King, just the sort of dulcet tones of his presentation, but but Steve, the antic nature of the Kornacki performance is just so compelling for just the, based on what we're actually, you know, based on the content, I have to go with Kornacki. Does Don't Fox, you just believe Steve Kornacki more than you believe John King when he's well, like pointing they, at a county? They they both have really incredible. They're they're both in the beautiful mind category. But the, but <laughs> but when Steve Kornacki starts rifling off, uh, rattling off uh, like, um, you know, city and county names, you know, like off the top of his head, and then describing them, it's like you're. Is it is it really? Uh, this might be all really off color. You remember like the guys who would who uh, in D.C. who would like tell you the population of any city you named for a dollar. They like they yes. like approach a guy on the street or a guy would approach you on the street and just be like, "Tell me where you're from," and he would mm-hmm. tell you like the state motto and the and the population and everything else. Like that's what that's what Kornacki is doing on a national stage every night that we have one of these elections. So I I, I would definitely go with him. So I'm going to fill out the rest of my lineup. Gloria Borger, who I really like. Uh-huh. I think I think you need a person who's just solid, who's just who's just keeping you in there, can talk about anything. I like her. I, I like David Axelrod on CNN as well. Yeah. Can can we get Shep Smith back? Can we find something for him to do? Oh yeah. Post Fox, he's probably like on a no compete, but hey, we don't need that for our fantasy football team. We if we're to gonna go, that. if we're gonna go Fox, if you got to have somebody, if you got to draft somebody from Fox, I kind of like Chris Wallace not in the quarterback position. Like mm. the sort, the sort of like 
like in the Brokaw position. Yeah, like the Chris wise Wallace, old hand. Yes, exactly. Chris Chris Wallace sort of dissatisfied with everything else that's being said. Chris Wallace is <laughs> is, is decent. You do kind of need the grump, right? Yeah. And Chris Matthews is kind of a bad grump because he's crazy grump. Uh huh. But I want I want solid grump. And and if I had to pick one of those, I think I'd take Chris Wallace over over Tom Brokaw, who occasionally plays that on 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 MSNBC. They're not usually on election nights. Uh, another listener mail, David Andrew Joe Potter asks, "Why does Chuck Todd look like someone tried to draw Hans Gruber from memory?" Oh my God! <laughs> which which I used to ask the larger question: When did America turn on Chuck Todd? Because <laughs> if you when is the last time you saw a pot? Like I, I I looked at Twitter last night and Jack McCallum was dragging Chuck Todd, the <laughs> basketball writer Jack McCallum. So now 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 it's everybody. When when did this happen? I mean, I, I I hate to be that guy, but listen to people like make take pot shots at Chuck Todd is sort of like when your wife walks into your into the living room during the All Star game, they're like, "Who's this? Who's this James guy? And why is he taking all the shots?" You know, I mean, it's it, like this is <laughs> we're all like we've all been taking shots they're at there. Chuck. Todd. Yeah, <laughs> we've all been taking shots at Chuck Todd like on a on an almost daily basis for those of us that watch a lot of cable television for years. Um, yeah. It doesn't really diminish what Chuck Todd is. In some ways, that's the sort of like the like the greatest compliment of, or the, you know, that's everything that Chuck Todd has ascended to is that he's like an immensely regular, immensely like kind of comical dude who has still sort of earned the chair that he sits in. Um, Clearly, obviously, when he got, you know, the, the long journey to him getting that meet the press seat when he probably should have gotten it, you know, several years before is nothing to scoff at. Um, but he is just sort of a, you know, he's a, he, there, there is a, there is a certain comedy to him. And, and I think to part of that is based on the fact that he's, that he takes this all very seriously. Uh, but, and, and also that he's just a creature of a political newsroom, um, and is deliberately or not unapologetic about it. I don't know that his role is winnable in the age of Twitter. No, 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 no. Tim Russer was already getting dragged pre-Twitter at the end. Remember, people were just like, yeah. especially like the lefty blogosphere of those early days, just hated Tim Russert. And I just don't know if that job's winnable. Now, I'm not saying he's doing it perfectly, but I don't know that you can, I don't know that you can win in that job. Uh, now, uh, David, another question from Elia Powers. Andrew Yang is off the board and is now a CNN commentator. I meant to talk about this earlier. Wow. First of all, he was, well, what's the question? Let me answer the question. What other current or former 2020 candidates are most likely to follow in his footsteps and which cable station or other platform are they a best fit? Ooh. I mean, CNN is the easy, is the first answer for everybody um because they have I don't know but no no so I'm not saying I, the I, the best fit I just think that like in as far as literal fit goes CNN's uh commentary yeah, stage anybody. grows and grows and grows I mean it's endlessly expandable it seems like so CNN there's always fits a CNN all yeah. yeah um I think of Elizabeth Warren as an MSNBC host mm -hmm. I'm not saying she's going to give up Senate seat or or presidency or vice presidency certainly but she strikes me as like like you know Chris Cuomo except likable I mean, mm -hmm. you know, like she could absolutely do the interviews that Chris Cuomo thinks he's doing every night. Mm -hmm. um, Bernie, I don't. Would Bernie let anyone else talk if he hosted a show? <laughs> is Bernie going to share the ball? Bernie strikes me as a little too James Harden to be a to be a cable news host. Yeah, and just sort of like talk about Grump. I mean, I can't imagine he would sign up for anything that would involve him just like sitting in a chair for three hours while other people talked. Yeah, I mean that 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 would I don't think that would go particularly well. Um, you know the Fo the the Fox candidates I think are may maybe a little bit straightforward, right? You go you go Bennett or Delaney. I mean, those guys are available. Tulsi Gabbard <laughs> is obviously would obviously, you oh. know, fit fit in that chair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of people that have already have already dropped out. You can imagine like John Hickenlooper signing up for Fox and 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 kind of being blissfully unaware of he, what he was walking into. Um, but you know, I mean, of, of the people that have already dropped out, I mean, you know, Eric Swalwell spends as much time on MSNBC as just about anybody else. I mean, and I, I don't mean that as a knock. Um, but of the people who are still around, is that the is that the real question? Mm-hmm. I mean. So it's current or former. Oh, current. So I think you can pick anybody. Um, 
I mean, where's where's Beto? Where does Beto go? Does he appear oh, this, on TV at all? That's a good one. Yeah, I just see if him as more of the, you know, travel the Andrew Zimmern travel show model yeah. where he's like eating weird foods around the world or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's too bad MTV News isn't really a going concern anymore. <laughs> I love this listener question from Wesley Balch. If you did a cable news and NBA crossover event, <laughs> which personality would thrive and who would struggle? Yeah. Um, well, well uh, thank you all for sitting in on the Ringer editorial meeting, guys. This has been, I'm really <laughs> glad that you could make it. Um, wait, say it one more time. Pose the question again. If you did a cable news and NBA crossover event, yeah. which personality would thrive and who would struggle? So what is the, what is the, I don't even understand the premise, the crossover. These but, are, the, this, this is happening. Let me, let me just start us off here. Charles, if you went to a cable news show and replaced generic pundit with Charles Barkley, uh -huh. would that show be any worse? Oh, I don't think so. <sighs> no, not at all. I mean, and just, I'm not, I mean and let's Charles not over compliment Barkley. Yeah. So that, so that's good, right? That's one. Um, I think Chris Matthews would struggle on sports television because he struggles on news television. <laughs> so that could be a problem. News is full of all these worker bees. Yes. Yeah. Like I mean, Anderson Cooper, Katie, Ch like those people just know what they're talking about. So I think if you put them on a sports show, I think they'd be really good. Yeah. Probably. Especially the people that come up on the desk. I mean, obviously there's people that, I guess people that, that start off at the field. Katie Turr's done a lot of work out there to, to name one. I mean, there's an you have to be so fast on your feet, right? But like everybody that's come up on the desk, like I don't have any doubt that like Don Lemon could like host could host a studio show for a basketball studio show. Like he's he knows how to you know work off a teleprompter and look compelling on camera. That's like nine tenths of the job. Uh, Wesley also says Ernie Johnson's name. Now, if we put Ernie Johnson in the quarterback position of CNN or MSNBC's election night coverage. Would it be any worse? I, I kind of think Ernie would be just fine. I think he'd be better. I, I think I think he's he's. <laughs> I mean, listen, er, Ernie Watch Johnson, out, Anderson Cooper, Ernie Johnson. Uh, I have a soft spot for Brian Williams hosting these big panel shows, but you know, Ernie Johnson has the win not to talk part of the hosting job down to an art form, and I think more so than just about anybody else to have a to have the to have the the charisma when he speaks but to know that not speaking is the job 99 percent of the time i mean that's 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 a real skill our friend chris solentrop writes to say referring of course to bloomberg dropping in like a new character on a sitcom into this presidential campaign if the press box doesn't make a poochie joke <laughs> i'm unsubscribing so consider it made consider it made and finally david one question from the laundry your Charles Portis discussion made me want some book recommendations from you guys, especially books about media, whether recent or not. Oh, I'll take this one because do it. You know how you have those like handful of books on your phone mm -hmm. that you just read before you go to bed mm -hmm. and it's not to put you to sleep. It's just to get your mind in a good place. For me, the boys on the bus is oh, one yeah. of those books because you can just dip into any part of it. You can wait two months, six months, whatever it is. Reading that book during a campaign is incredible because you'll have to substitute like Ezra Klein for David Broder, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't know who the R.W. Apple of our age is, whether it's Maggie Haberman, whoever is the, the big correspondent like that, who's going all over the place. But it's great. And probably, but certainly the best book about political media and one of the books about media generally ever written gotta be all right time for david schumacher guesses a strain pun headline and here david okay signs. tuesday's headline about that viral airline seat controversy was the recline of western civilization <laughs> this week's headline comes from jeff sharon it's from wednesday's la times sports page Ooh. the piece david is about the unique way in which the la clippers rebuilt their team versus the way teams like the Philadelphia 76ers rebuilt their team. I'll read you the subhead. Clippers rebuilt last season while not giving up, which led to big acquisitions of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. In other words, they rebuilt without tanking. Okay. What was the LA Times's strained pun headline? Oh, man. 
like no lose situation. Um, Go with tank. Tank. Oh, so it's specifically using or tank. tank. Mm, um, yeah, that's that's your root. Uh, uh, think tank. Um, uh, built like a tank. Um, presumably not drunk tank. Um, mm. What is what it? What if what if tank were standing in for thank? Oh, a form of thank. No tanks. Uh, no tanks for the memories. Uh, or wait, no. <laughs> Ta- uh, the thank. Um, that's pretty good. Ta- ta- <laughs> tank. Thank you. Uh, what is it? Uh, God, let I'm, me give you this one. It's tough. A tankless task. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. Not quite. Not quite as like inventive as I would have hoped, but I. But I. That. That was well done. It's very solid, right? Yeah. A tankless task. I also like any headline that sounds kind of like a speech impediment. <laughs> a tankless task. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Erica Cervantes and Chris Almeida. Production magic by Jim Cunningham. We're back Tuesday after the Nevada caucuses with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you, Brian. Are you calling me stupid? Ooh, yeah. I have to go now. My planet needs me. Wow, Poochie came from another planet? Uh, I guess. Come the fuck on. <laughs>